Good afternoon, morning, evening, wherever you're at. Welcome to Brace. Uh, today, Paul and I are going to discuss masculinity uh, in its current state in our social climate. We're going to talk about uh, some of the differences, especially in dating, that men and women have, and also where a lack of meaning, a lack of masculinity, and a general feel about what men should or shouldn't be has started to change culture slightly. And with that, uh, Paul, I want to ask you, what do you think are the biggest differences between men and women uh, in the current dating market? Tommy, that's a great question. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, there are a lot of differences in the current dating market. I think the standards that are set and the expectations around how the interactions will develop in some sense are still very traditional and in other senses have changed drastically over the last 20 years. Uh, I wasn't in the dating market 20 years ago. Thankfully, my parents had a sense of uh, direction on raising children. So uh, I think I may have had a pretend girlfriend in first grade, but that's about as far as it can get. Um, but since we've both entered the dating market, I think that there is a clear dichotomy in how relationships develop uh, between what is traditional and expected, and I would argue the better format for a thriving society, and what the postmodern feminist landscape has uh, created for society. Um, that includes the idea that consent is the absolute and only good uh, in a sexual relationship, and that men must be very cognizant of consent at all times while still always being the leader and making the first move. Um, I think that creates a dichotomy of, of confusion and a romanticism in interactions that makes both men and women turned off to the idea that things can move forward further. I think that there's a lot more that we want to get into on this, but there's also uh, just to throw some stats that out there, women are almost, I, I don't actually have the statistics, unfortunately, but uh, by and large, women are much more likely to date across and up uh, income levels and uh, professional success, uh, whereas men will date equal and down in those same metrics, which works well in the traditional, you know, what uh, feminists would call a patriarchal culture, uh, where many women weren't in the professional world uh, seeking to have a career that ends in the C-level suite, whereas today we've achieved gender equality in the workplace. Sorry to all the feminists complaining about 77 cents on the dollar. That's not the statistical truth. When you look at a multivariate equation asking about things like how much are you working, what jobs are you taking, and how often are you asking for the promotion or the raise, things like that. So there are biological differences between men and women, and when those get uh, ignored or placed on the back burner, I think we all stand to lose quite a bit, especially those of us in the dating market. How's that for an answer? I think it's a very good answer. One one thing uh, it made me think of, like the, the sex differences between men and women. In the most utilitarian places where there is the most equality, an interesting thing comes up. Women tend to in that society where options are available, go towards the occupations in which womanly characteristics or feminine characteristics are most pronounced. Uh, so like caring for others, nurses, teachers. I believe this is in like Sweden or another 
European country. Sweden uh, and Norway. Yeah, Sweden and Norway. Usually referenced. Um, but it, it's not what you would expect, right? You would expect if there weren't these differences that there would be a close to equal amount of people in each sort of occupation. But what you find, right, when those opportunities are available, that is not the case. In a sense, the more opportunities available, the more you actually see the differences uh, between the sexes, right? And uh, we were just talking before this about how the differences are a positive. In a from what I would understand as a relationship, you want someone to complement your strengths and weaknesses, right? So one person can can be the leader in this attribute while another is the leader in another attribute, right? And so the one makes up for the failings of the other. And you know, you made a you made a funny point that wow, it's almost like it was it was set up that way. Um and and yes, I, I understand, you know, you being more religious in that sense, right? Like God created it that way. The way I would look at it, and not to take away from that argument, but evolution, right? Like, in order for a species to survive, it makes sense that when paired, the two are stronger than the one, right? I think that makes sense for creating the next generation, raising the next generation. And, you know, as we've talked about before, as things have progressed and gotten better, you know, in some ways and maybe worse in others, but these differences make for the longevity of our species in positive ways. One of the things that you said there, not at the end, but close to the beginning that I wanted to respond to was how egalitarianism didn't have the outcome. Egalitarianism. Suggested that many would, uh, which would be, you know, engineers would be 50-50, men and women, and nurses would be 50-50, men and women, right? It was the opposite. More women went into nursing. Uh, less women into engineering, more men into engineering. Made me think of um, at our alma mater in the uh, engineering building, there is a hallway, and at least at my time there, that had boards of, it was women in engineering, and it gave the percentages of each category of engineering and how many women were in it. So I did biomedical engineering. I think you did mechanical, right? Chemical. Uh, Chemical, my bad. And I think mine had 13 point something percent women in there. And I was thinking that they always use that as an example of look how far we still have to go. Women aren't involved in what they want to be involved in. And I think that's such an illogical argument in that everyone knows that engineers are one of the most well-paid professions right out of college. And everything growing up, I don't know if you had it, but I definitely had it. There was all the STEM days, all the you know women in STEM days, all the encouragement possible for women to be interested in these topics. And they didn't choose to do it. So for me, it's like, yes, we can have 50-50 of everything if you want to crush freedom. Like, we can just force women to, to go into engineering. We can force men to go into nursing. Because if you give people the freedom, the equality will never be. Um, And that's something that I think a certain category of political persuasion haven't grappled with or come up with a solution for at all. And when you talk about the strengths and weaknesses uh, kind of balancing each other out, and my view is, yes, God has a a purpose for men and a purpose for women. They are uh, complementary and work incredibly well together when people pursue those purposes. The other side of things is that you're right, even if it's just evolution, regardless, 
the species that we got to say in the 1960s was growing very rapidly, very well. And we had an organization that allowed for thriving humans. And I think my big critique and what I want to explore a little bit more on this episode is that we have abandoned that structure in the efforts of liberating women and equality from the tyrannical patriarchy and from the horrid experience of motherhood to now allow for a miserable generation. Is that a little too much? No, 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 no. I I was just going to say before we really dive deep, you know, I've been listening to the uh, Modern Wisdom podcast with Chris Williamson, and there's been a lot of discussion on the manosphere and how it seems that as we've become a more egalitarian society, there's this giant group of people on the internet that are essentially promoting men to get better. That's that's what the manosphere essentially encompasses. Uh, but it also encompasses uh, like the incel community and pickup artists and different things of that nature. And you know, as he's been talking about this and talking with different people uh, with different ideas, one big thing that's been brought up and and kind of you mentioned with the uh, you know STEM days and trying to promote people into certain occupations is that it used to be more of a you know 60 40 split of like high school graduates college graduates in men versus women whereas men were you know the dominators in that but again as these things have been promoted and more opportunities have been given as you know i think you and me both agree that equal opportunity is what we should be striving for it seems that it has flipped on its head and now you know 60% of uh, college graduates are women women are starting to out earn men uh, in industry and some other things. And based on these discussions, a lot of what I've heard has been the high school and you know primary school setup is actually suited better for women. And we know that we didn't know that back in the day because not as many women had the opportunity to go to school and, and have those opportunities. But what we're seeing now is is a very large gap and it's it's widening in women starting to succeed more so than men. Um, now, I don't necessarily think this is a problem, but what is a problem is now men are being left behind, right? And so some of the stuff that we're talking about is women not wanting to date below their salary. And so this is this is leaving people behind, um, right? I, I don't think we want one sex to succeed at the expense of another. I think that's where... Uh, it seems that Chris Williamson is is trying to promote things and essentially say, like, yes, we, we still want women to continue to succeed, but are there things we can do to help men out as they're starting to go down the path of failure? I, I'm not overly familiar with Chris Williamson. I don't think I've ever listened to Modern Wisdom before. I have a, I've heard of the Manosphere, but I really am not familiar with that as a group either. Anything that includes the quote-unquote incel community, which is one of the more terrifying terms uh, out there, and uh, pickup artists is probably not something that I think is a positive force for good, because I think that both of those quote-unquote communities would be degenerations of masculinity. So yes and no. Um, Maybe I I didn't do a broad enough explanation of the manosphere, but it's also, this would include people like Jordan Peterson. It would include people like Andrew Tate on the opposite side, right? Like Jordan Peterson recently had a, uh, I think a discussion with, it might've been Piers Morgan. And he was like, he got very emotional when Piers was saying like, 
it seems that you talk to a lot of incels and and men at the the bottom of the totem pole. And Jordan Peterson, you know, got very emotional and was like, well, if I don't, who will? Right. So it's it's not just those quote unquote bad communities that have certain stigmas attached to them. It's also trying to lift men up in a way. Right. There's higher levels of depression, higher levels of suicide. Men are the the higher group of people that end up being murdered. There's a, there's a lot of issues that when brought up, it seems there can't be a conversation due to the other side believing that this is now taking away from the problems that women have. In some parts of the manosphere, as it's being called, there are people that want to help men without having it be a uh, a win-loss scenario for women. But there's also people like Andrew Tate, I would think, would fit, fit into this, where it's bringing men up at the expense of women. There's different parts of this manosphere. I wouldn't say as a whole it's necessarily bad. I won't castigate the entire thing if Jordan Peterson is a part of it because I think he is quite a force for good in society today. Andrew Tate, on the other hand, I would say is a force for evil in the world today. And I, you may have some serious pushbacks. He has said true things. I recognize that he has said true things. But his overall attitude toward the relationship between men and women is also degenerative. He believes that men own women. He is a 21st century pimp, right? He manages OnlyFans for women and takes a cut of their money for them to prostitute themselves on the internet. So I, I don't respect him as a person um, and as arguably the most relevant person in that space right now, I would still say the manosphere overall would be degenerative. If you're putting Jordan Peterson in there because he is a specific inspiration for men, I would say that he's speaking to men because he sees the gap right now in society around people speaking to men. Everyone is saying you're fine the way you are. Everyone is saying, you know, you're toxic just for being a man and having masculinity. So he wants to rebalance that equation. He has also talked about, yes, I've worked with women in the clinical practice. Yes, of course, I want to help women as much as I can too. And what he speaks to more directly is the human experience, which the reason we're having this conversation about masculinity and culture today is because how masculinity is portrayed and acted out in men is very imbalanced. And so he is, I think, giving people a guide map to return to a balance. Um, I'm very excited to actually, I think I'm a little sad we're having this conversation before I've gotten the chance to listen to his entire uh, three episode arc on marriage, because I think that's going to speak a lot about the relationship between men and women. And I think it's, it's going to have good content. But overall, like when you think about pickup artists, that is a bad avenue for men to learn how to relate with women. If the goal is manipulation, that's terrible. And in, in incel, which is short for involuntary celibate community, is the same way. If they have accepted, I am celibate and it is through no choice of my own. It is all women who have caused this. And to allow that to become part of your identity and for the animosity to grow, rather than to say, all women are rejecting me, it can't be all women, it must be me. There must be something that I can change or improve about myself to become attractive so that I can live the life I want, that is, again, a, a degenerative take on 
the purpose of a man in society. Do you understand my, my take there? Yeah, yeah. I would agree that a lot of the rhetoric that comes out of the incel community is that, you know, it's it's not your fault, it's theirs, right? And, and, and puts it in a win-loss sort of way. Real quick, going back to Andrew Tate, I would agree. Um, his rhetoric is not good, but, and like you said, he's also said true things. So let me hit on the, the true things part first. I think, and this, I don't think just happens in the manosphere, but people will get connected. And I, I think this is probably also where some of the QAnon stuff occurred, where people online will, will say some true things, gather a following, and then when they shift or start saying things that lack some of that factuality, uh, people have already glommed onto it, right? So I think it's this tribalism that can also occur. As for what you talked about with Jordan Peterson talking to this this group that seems disenfranchised, I think that Andrew Tate has also seen that gap, right? As this gap continues to widen between men and women, people see that there is that gap there and they want to fill that. I'm going to push back a little bit. I, I recognize what you're saying and, and there is elements of truth. I wouldn't call it tribalism around Andrew Tate. I would call it heroism. He has set himself up as the hero in the story and you can buy his class in order to turn into the hero yourself. And the hero, of course, just means you can manipulate women, sleep with a lot of women and not have a long-term relationship, but a series of short-term relationships where you're in charge. Whereas, again, I think that Jordan Peterson is giving the advice that leads to fulfillment. Uh, so that's the big difference there. And so go ahead. I, I would totally agree with, with that assessment, but don't you see that they're both looking at that same gap and one wants to solve it one way and one wants to solve it another way. It's coming from this same gap that there is this, this widening gap between the success of women and the failures of men. Yeah, I would I would agree to that to the extent that both of those people being as relevant as they are in the cultural discussion is a symptom of the issue that we're talking about here, right? If correct. masculine and, and femininity were in balance in the culture in the correct way, neither of them would got would have gotten the platform that they've gotten. Yeah. And so I wanted to bring up that point because as we're discussing this issue of of where masculinity stands, I think we have to acknowledge that there are some problems. And at the same time, acknowledge that, you know, despite us discussing this problem, and mainly this problem relates to us more so than, than women's issues. So I think men have a stronger feeling to listen and to hear out these issues, not at the expense of women, but just because these things matter more to us. Would you agree with that? No. Um, I would say that men become weaker and women pay the price as well. Uh, because women don't want weak partners unless you're, you know, unless it's a tyrannical person that just wants to be, you know, controlling in a relationship, which at the end of the day isn't going to be fulfilling. But women want strong men. Men want strong women in their femininity. Uh, and that's a, a pretty key differentiator there. Um, and I would probably say that overall, there are enough issues that women feel the burden as much as men. Men just feel it a little bit more directly. Uh, but I'm curious. Okay, that's, I, I wanna, that's totally fair. Okay. 
I want to ask you the question that you asked me to kick off the podcast and see if that takes us in a different direction, which was, what are the biggest differences in dating between men and women today? So I, I think one of the biggest differences is dating apps. I find, I, I believe, and you know, maybe this is anecdotal, but I think there's also statistics on it and some evidence to back this, but 10% of men are getting all the matches with 90% of women. And so I think what this means is, you know, the, the people that don't have as much to offer, you know, that lower 90% of men on these apps are less likely to get experience talking with women their age, with dating. Uh, so it's, it's reducing the number of opportunities men have to grow and to learn and to become better. I think another gigantic difference is, I don't necessarily want to speak for women, but I know in my experience, I'm to be the aggressor in a sense. Maybe that's not the right word, but men are supposed to be the ones to make the first move, to ask the girl out, to have the first kiss. Whereas women can go out and get a few different men to come up to them without doing anything. And I, I think with that difference, as men become weaker, right, I think there will be less of that going on. And so maybe that's something that will change the tides, whereas women will have to start reaching out in order to get dates or in order to, to talk with men. Yeah, I not to get too scientific, uh, but that just made me think of something that has been tracking and, and uh, is very known in the scientific community, which is testosterone levels and sperm count have been falling like a rock over the past couple of generations. So where in 1980, a 65 year old's testosterone is now what a 20 year old would have for testosterone. Men are overall getting smaller in stature, less fertile, all of that. So we can talk about the relationship between men and women and it goes so much deeper than that. It goes into our very biology of how uh, attractive men are to women right now. And when you talk about, yeah, I think you use the word aggressor, which I agree is wrong, but men should lead, uh, I think is, is kind of the idea or instigate the next steps in a relationship. And women want to be led in those relationships. And of course, any true feminist right now is, is you know, setting her own hair on fire, listening to this, I would think, uh, because... There is an element of traditional gender roles that we're assigning here that you can't get away from in the dating experience. If there aren't traditional gender roles, then men and women are stuck looking at each other going, so what's next? And I agree in the experience with dating apps um, in terms of reducing opportunities overall, it also is just making it harder to form a real bond because you get this inclination that there's a sea of opportunities that expands forever. One thing that I haven't seen about, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if there were very successful men that move around cities because the dating pool finally dries up and they go, okay, we're, we're, I'm just going to move on now after you know uh, connecting with a couple hundred women or whatever it is. Overall, dating apps give a, a false presentation of how that relationship needs to start in that for men who are primarily visual creatures, if all you're doing is swiping left or right, it's a lot easier to make that about physical appearance. And for women, if you're looking for the biological markers, if you have uh, something like Bumble where your height is listed, it's like, yeah, I found out that there were filters that were added to Bumble. And when they did, they actually had to disable them a little bit because 
so many women were filtering for men seven wow. foot or above. Seven That's going to be a very above. small group of people, I would assume. Uh-huh, exactly. And so they were like, well, this isn't realistic. We can't just eliminate 99.8% of all men from, you know, half the girls' uh, searches here. So uh, when you when you look at the, the biological realities of what women and men are looking for, the dating apps do not serve either gender well. I also think it it fakes things up. I really don't enjoy swiping left and right and essentially making a judgment on a person from their cover right like what's that old adage don't judge a book by its cover i think there's so much more to people and humans than what they look like i think attractiveness is important and i think there's an evolutionarily set perspective in that too where you know men are looking for something that when there's the creation of kids would be good for that kid and I think vice versa for women. I think they're also looking for things that you can visually see. But at the same time, a relationship is so much more than than looks, right? And so by just placing this, you know, left-right setup, I think it it gets us to be more judgmental by just the the cover. Well, and again, and, especially in the the endless sea, right? If you had right? 15 you you know, the max you could you could download the dating app and you had to fill out a survey and, you know, they would, over the course of a month, give you exactly 15 profiles you got to look at. You might be a little bit more scrutinizing and say, OK, you know, wh what might I find in common with this person? What is there a potential that this person could be a good match for me rather than it goes on forever and never ends? So even if you match with someone, right, isn't there that little back of your mind saying, eh, are they the best I can do? Like, there's a lot more out here. Yeah, I, I think for for sure when there's this sea of endless opportunity. And I think that that just brings up a bigger problem in general. There's like a analysis by paralysis. This is really great, but is there something better? And I, I think, you know, back in communities and, you know, even maybe tribes or small towns, these were the people, you know, that were available. And not to say you shouldn't try and strive for you know, a partner that is the best of the best, but at some point you're, you're going to be limiting your search and those things may not be there. Right. And are you going to then wait until you're 40 in order to actually have a relationship? I, I don't necessarily think that's a good thing, you know, and what most people are looking for, but maybe I'm just speaking from my own thoughts. No, I think that you're right. Uh, it's also not what's good for children for people to wait until the parents are approaching old age before they have children. Yeah, and and in terms of analysis paralysis, that's exactly what I'm what I'm talking about. And yeah, uh, there's something to be said about the internet age as well uh, in regards to this. Right, we've all been seeing Victoria Secret and Sports Illustrated models since you know we were in middle school or whatever when you know we were seeing commercials for the Super Bowl, whatever it is where you first saw one of the most beautiful women in the world that was then set up as the standard. Whereas, you know, when it was smaller communities or the internet wasn't around and TV wasn't around, it was a lot easier to see the beauty in someone, even if they weren't by all standards of today, beautiful. So, and also we weren't seeing the Calvin Klein models, the, the guys that look completely yep. chiseled and perfect. 
And we weren't comparing ourselves to that to say, oh, that's why, you know, all the women hate us or whatever is we don't look good enough either. So even though uh, that isn't as talked about on the, on the men's side, it's definitely there as well, especially with if you're on a dating app for any amount of time and you see, you know, some people you're like, oh, I, I think Tinder had super likes. Right. So you were able to mm-hmm. send something that says, hey, I really liked you. Let's let's match. And so if you do that a couple of times and you get rejected, it's like you start looking in the mirror a lot more on do I look attractive enough to get the people that I'm attracted to? And because we've set these crazy high standards, the answer is always no, right? Yeah. And the comparison I would make is, you know, with all the streaming services, um, I know there have been nights where I'm just looking for something to watch. And, you know, because I have an unlimited sea of content to watch, whether that be on YouTube, Netflix, HBO, Hulu, there have been times where I'm just, I'm scrolling and then I don't even find anything. And so in the instance where, you know, I only have 15 movies to choose from, I think it's more likely to choose out of that by essentially like limiting our choices. Right. And that sounds almost kind of weird. Like the opposite of, of what freedom is. You now make it more likely that a choice can be made. Would you agree that sometimes you need to, instead of it being an infinite group, you need to filter it down in a sense in order to make a decision. Yes. Uh, in, in anything where you have the potential of an endless array of options, there has to be a way to limit those options. And I think, I, I don't think the apps as they're constituted today allow for the right kind of filtering down. You can filter by certain things, but those things leave you with the same infinite array of options. So you can just say, if you're a woman, I only want men above six foot, uh, but that doesn't really help you make any decision. You can say, I only want whatever. You can choose your perfect guy by all the categories that are available and filter it. And that does not correlate with a successful relationship. I don't think it's possible to build an app that will do the job of finding a good match chemistry wise for you because it always will have a significant elements of superficiality. I do think that there has to be a concerted effort to move towards meeting people in real life around shared interests uh, or, or shared priorities in life. One of the things that I saw as a suggestion that absolutely I wish could happen was turning Goodreads into a dating app. If you're reading the same content, then there's a good chance that you're going to have a lot in common with that person. You're going to have shared interests. You're going to have shared beliefs. You're going to have shared hopes for the future even. Like I know that's a lot to get out of books, but you're going to be able to look at someone intellectually first and then be able to deal with them socially or personally, uh, physically, all those things as a secondary, which I think a relationship is built on trust, of course, and, and those things, but uh, it primarily has to be a friendship and a intellectual respect between two people because the, the beauty will fade with time. But if you're going to spend the rest of your life with someone, you need to be able to talk with them and have a shared outlook of the world. Yeah, I, uh, I would completely agree. I, I first heard that from uh, Lex Friedman. And I think it was like maybe two months after you're like, hey, you should download this app. Uh, and we were just talking about it as, you know, we're reading different things and, oh, it'd be cool to, you know, compare, you know, what you've read to what I've read. And, but no, I think it, it, it makes sense for, for meeting people and even for conversation starters. 
I think that's why sometimes pickup artists are looked at, right? For for men that don't know where to start, that seems to be a place where people go because I don't even know how to start a conversation with someone that I've never met, right? And I think that's a skill that's that's very underdeveloped and and I don't think we're necessarily trained or taught that in schools. How to bring like ideas together in order to have a conversation. And and to me, you know, I, I think that would be something that is, is attractive to people, right? Like, hey, I want to learn how to talk to people, right? But I think like we've discussed, the pickup artists usually are doing it at the expense of of women and manipulating. Whereas if you're looking at it of as, oh, me and this person both read this book, that's something we can discuss, right? Like it's something that can start a conversation. And, you know, similar to our conversations off the podcast, right? Like we tend to take a bunch of different tangents and you learn different things and you discuss different things. But if there isn't that opening to a discussion, you're never going to even reach those tangents to learn more about someone. A hundred percent agreed. Um, well, and I, I'm glad we're, we're kind of in agreement on that. So that's, I think that's our next big plan, right? We turn Goodreads into a dating app and become billionaires that <laughs> well, I, maybe later. Okay. They, they um, probably have, you know, I don't know that we can copy it exactly, but I mean, um, no, I, we, we, it's just a catalog <laughs> of books. Like we can also have a catalog <laughs> of books and instead it's, you, you know, you get, Hey, this person has read 20% of the same books as you want to match want to chat, whatever. Boom. Million dollar ideas coming out in the public space here. If someone uh, decides to take that and run with it, just give me a 1% cut. Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, anyway. I think you, you, you might have to give Lex Friedman a little bit of a cut too. That, that's at least yeah. where I first heard it. But uh, I, don't, I, get, I get it. I've only listened to one it. Lex podcast and that was uh, Kanye West's interesting dialogue here very recently, which maybe we'll talk about at some point. But Tommy, if it's okay, I kind of want to wrap this up. And my thought is, if you could change one thing about the dynamics between men and women in the society today for your own personal life, what would that look like? And, you know, is there anything prescriptive that we can live, give to either men or men and women to uh, improve the state of the relationship? Yeah, so I think one really positive would be to promote the idea of women approaching men. I think this is good for a couple of reasons. One, I think it takes some of the pressure off of men that they have to be, you know, pursuant. I think it builds confidence as well in these men that are maybe too fearful to approach and and to chat with uh, random strangers. And I think it it also might allow women to see what men have to go through when there's, you know, many rejections uh, that can occur from those sorts of interactions. You know, as women continue to become more equal in society, and I don't necessarily mean equal uh, in opportunity, I just mean as women are doing better, right? Currently, the statistics are showing that women are succeeding more in the workplace and in schools. I think by having women on occasion make the first move or, or start an interaction, I think would be good to everybody in the dating pool. That's interesting. There's a, I don't remember what piece of content I was watching or listening to, but uh, there was a guy talking about how women used to drop the handkerchief and, and that gave men the opportunity to pick up the handkerchief and say, hey, miss, uh, you dropped this. And then 
have the opportunity to flirt and ask out and whatever else. But it was women that were taking that initiative step of giving the man the opportunity. So, in you know, you don't have to ask the guy out, right? But giving men an opportunity, I think, is something that's that's big. And to speak to the men, go do the hard thing. That is the essence of masculinity, and it's the essence of adulthood, is being willing to step up, and when something is scary or difficult, you accomplish it anyways, and, you know, stand up straight with your shoulders back while you're doing it. I'm thinking of someone in particular, right, that is about my age, that uh, has been serially single basically all of post-college, uh, and... I was out at a bar with him and there was a group of pretty girls. And I said, hey, let's go talk to that group of pretty girls. He was very straight up with me about saying, no, I fear rejection so much that there's no possible way that I would do that with you right now. And if you let the fear of rejection stop you from doing anything in life, then you've already lost. The, The game is over. You've been played. So don't let the possibility of rejection stop you from going and doing what may be anxiety provoking for you. I think, you know, when you say that people don't know how to talk to each other, that's true. You know how you fix that? You practice. Go talk to a girl, <laughs> get rejected, go do it again the next week. Does I, I was just I was just about to say, like, how do you get better at handling rejection? You get rejected. Right? Like it'll always be the most anxiety inducing thing you've ever done if you've never done it. Right. But as you practice and you get better at approaching people and, you know, I think this this goes for, uh, you know, non relationship stuff as well. How do you get better in the workplace? You know, you talk to your coworkers, uh, you find like interests, you you determine ways to work together to, you know, succeed at the company's goal. But you have to first put yourself out there. And if you're not putting yourself out there, then those opportunities will vanish. And. 100% agreed exactly what I'm saying. Thank you for for elaborating. And one other thing that that kind of made me think about was in the environments where men are together and have the opportunity to interact with women that are together, don't be party to any toxic masculinity because that is a real thing. Like we talked about, masculinity can be degenerative. And if you're in a group, uh, be a leader on doing the right thing. Uh, Because that not only is going to be the right thing for you and the right thing for the group of guys around you, but when women see that, they regain their trust in men and in masculinity. So if we're going to build a future where men and women return to having a more balanced role in society and more in tune with each other's needs, wants, desires, and uh, fulfilling those things for each other, women can't think that the guys that approach them in the bar are only trying to sleep with them. If you can actually have the interactions and say, we have better intentions for you do that. I think exactly like you said, right? Like men also have to change to, to not only looking to sleep with women that has to change. And, and like you said, being, being a leader in that regard and bringing back that trust between men and women. And, you know, it really should never be a competition for men to succeed at the expense of women and women to succeed at the expense of men, this should be something where the collaboration and, and the coordination of both sexes is better for everybody. Of course it is. It has to be. That's we're, we're all one human race. And if we are splitting ourselves up by 
the genitals were born with and trying to compete with each other. It's a bad game. Everybody loses in that game. So let's let's have everybody win instead. Well, Paul, this was a excellent discussion. You know, I, I'm glad we got to discuss this issue, kind of provide some of our thoughts and opinions on it. And, uh, you know, to, to all you uh, listeners and, and viewers, we would appreciate, you know, you sharing. If you enjoyed what we talked about, you know, m- maybe trying some of these things that we discussed. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, Paul and I are the only ones with possible solutions, but try it, practice, see what works, see what doesn't, you know, and drop us a like, uh, give us some feedback. Go get rejected. <laughs> yes. It was, it was a great conversation, Tommy. Thanks. And yeah, listeners, uh, we really appreciate all the support you guys are, are putting out there. If you think that I'm a sexist, go ahead and tell me in the comments, looking forward to it, the, <laughs> the interactions here, uh, but, uh, very much appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of the day.